suggested topic sermon series, and this is the 10th of 14 sermons in the category of Christian living, and this one maybe doesn't perfectly fit in this category, had to stick it in. Uh, this, this one came in late. Um, remember I told you that there was a topic that had 13 in this category, and there was another one that was added in this category, and uh, so that we had 14 now. This is the one that was added. It was added by the elders at one of our session meetings. We were talking about how a lot of people don't come to our prayer meeting that we have every Sunday between our worship services. And one of the elders said something like, why don't you preach on group prayer? I'll make that as a request for the suggested topic sermon series. So, so that's what we're doing today. Stuck it in here. Uh, group prayer, its mandate, nature, and importance. Now, I'll begin by reading two scripture passages besides the one that we already read that have to do with prayer, with group prayer, I should say. Um, Earlier, we read Isaiah 56, a chapter in which God says that when he blesses his people, his house where his people gather will be a house of prayer for all nations. So when God blesses his people, his the gathering place of his people becomes a house of prayer. When Jesus came, that was fulfilled In the early church, it was very much the case. The early church was characterized by the assembly praying together when they they gathered together as God's sons and daughters. And soon people from all the nations, as it says, from all nations, had come to Christ and were praying to the Lord in the assemblies that were all over the world. As it says in 1 Timothy 2.8, everywhere, which is literally in every place, It's a semi-technical term, we'll mention this later as well, for the gatherings of God's people, every place. And uh, so it says that in in 1 Timothy 2.8, that that's where we do our prayers. And then Psalm 72 tells us that when God's promised king comes, that's what Psalm 72 is about, right? The coming king. It says people from all different parts of the world and from many nations will come to worship. And then in Psalm 72, 15, it says, prayer also will be made for him, for the king, continually and daily he shall be praised. And so that's what happened when Jesus came. Prayer is made all over the world now, different time zones and whatever. There's continual prayer to to him and for him, for his kingdom to flourish and prosper. So let's go now, having looked at the uh, Old Testament situation, the, the promise that God's house would be a house of prayer. So I'll go to the new, two New Testament readings about group prayer. The first one is the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And a little bit before that, leading up to that. So listen, and you'll notice that it has a, a verse in it that sounds like maybe we should avoid public prayer. And I'll, I'll talk about that. And then how we should, uh, in, how it also has something that says, shows that we should engage in public prayer. So Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut your door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Second reading is from 1 Timothy 2. And uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's 15 verses. 1 Timothy 2, 1. Therefore, I exhort, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works." Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into the transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So, there we end the reading of God's Word. So, in the title you can see that I intend to speak about the mandate for group prayer. That is something that God told us to do. Then I'll speak about the nature of group prayer. And we'll look at how it is to be done and how it works. I thought about calling that the manner of group prayer. It's going to kind of be a meshing of those two things. And then we'll look at the importance of group prayer. Why is it important? And... uh, helpful to engage in group prayer. So let's begin with the first thing then, the mandate for group prayer or for corporate prayer as it's sometimes called. In Matthew 6, it almost sounds, doesn't it, like Jesus is forbidding prayer in front of other people. But he isn't. He is forbidding ostentatious prayer. And Jesus, of course, often uses strong language when he's confronting something like ostentation prayer it says don't even pray at all you know or something like that he he has he, he speaks in that manner uh it's a way of speaking that's fairly common in, in the scriptures uh and he's talking about prayers and ostentatious ones that are done to show off we all like to be thought well of and different people will do different things to show off you know they have different things that they can kind of gravitate to to look good to others some focus on their clothes some on their charm some on their good deeds, some on their patience. You know, oh, I'm such a patient person. Uh, some on how devoted they are to God. 
many of the Pharisees and priests in Jesus' day, just like Christian leaders in our day, were or are more concerned about those who see them pray and hear them pray than they are about God to whom they pray. And that is the problem that he is addressing here. They're not really praying at all. They're not lifting up their desires to God for things agreeable to his will, but they're praying, as Jesus says, to be seen by men. Matthew 6, 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Obviously, that kind of hypocrisy is going to be offensive to God. Such prayers, if they are answered, and sometimes they may be answered in the letter of them, uh, are answered not for the sake of the one praying. (laughs) They're answered despite the one praying. But God is merciful to His people and will bring blessings sometimes that are asked for by a hypocritical prayer. So Jesus has the remedy, though, for this, this kind of praying. In Matthew 6, 6, But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So a person who shows up for public prayer never prays in private is a person who's just trying to make a show. If you believe that God is the only one who can bless us and save us, and that He has called us to pray in faith believing, then you'll pray more in private than you will in public. Private prayer is a kind of a test that way about hypocrisy. If you find that you're not praying in private, not really praying, not, not just saying your prayers, but then, then, then you're not really praying in public either. He is saying, if you have been praying to make a show before other people, then stop. Go and pray in private instead, looking for the blessing that comes from God instead of the blessing that comes from displaying something to other people. This is something we all have to check our heart about because we all have a tendency to, to vainglory and that sort of thing. What are, what are our motives in what we're doing? He says the same thing about giving to the poor. So I told you last week we have to be careful when we look at something like this because Satan has a way of twisting things around and getting us to go off in another error to avoid that one error, he'll get us focused. He doesn't care which way we go as long as we just don't go in God's way. And uh, if he can't lead us away from God in one way, then he'll do it in another. And someone will hear what Jesus says, and they'll say, yeah, there's so much religious hypocrisy. I'm going to make sure that I'm no hypocrite. Since people like to be thought well of, and they like to show off by doing good works, and I'm going I'm to stop doing good works you know, that other people can see. And uh, prayer, you know, they like to show off praying in public and stuff like that. I'm going to stop praying in public. I'm not even going to be a part of it. Other people are showing off. I'm I'm not going to do that anymore. A person who talks like that is also a hypocrite because that person's whole focus is about what other people think about them and how they look to other people. It's not about what God thinks and what God says. So, uh, you know, you're going to stop doing good works and stop praying in public because you might do it the wrong way. If Satan can't get you to be a hypocrite, you see, when you're praying, who prays just to be seen by others, then he'll be glad to twist it around and get you to not pray at all. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to participate. He's really quite crafty. And you actually hear people that will say stuff like that. They actually have gone that route. But 
how do I know that we ought to pray in public? Okay, where, how, where does that come from in the scripture? Well, there's no question that our Lord calls us to public prayer. Let's look at that. Right here in Matthew 6, Jesus gives us this model prayer, which we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, because he gave it to us. And look at how it begins. Our Father in heaven. Very first word. Our. That indicates that there's more than one person praying. Not my Father, but our Father in heaven. Not a person shut up in the closet praying by themselves here. And this is... And, and this, is, uh, this plural format continues through the rest of the prayer. We pray for our daily bread, for, our forgiveness, the for, or for the forgiveness of our debts. Surely the Lord Jesus did not immediately contradict himself, telling us to only pray private prayers and then turning right around and giving us, uh, telling us to pray with the words, Our Father, as if we were praying with others. The passage I read... And <laughs> Past, I guess we'll let the little beeps go around the room here a little bit. Is that me? I think it is. Oh, people can go home. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right, the passage I read in First uh, Timothy calls people to pray in public as well. Okay, so we have the, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. And uh, in 1 Timothy, we, we have in verse 8, where the apostle says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. And I mentioned to you before that the word everywhere is a semi-technical term in every place where the people assemble is the idea, where they gather together. And uh, to support this further, though, that you can see that it's talking about group prayer, the word translated men in the Greek is the word aner, which refers to males in distinction from females. And so he is calling the men to be the ones who lead in public prayer in the assembly. This is clear because the injunction is followed for them to pray everywhere with instructions to the women and females about how they ought to conduct themselves in uh, public meetings of the church. But perhaps most helpful of all in, in all of these is the approved example that we find all through the Bible of public prayer. Okay, so we have our Father in uh, Matthew and the whole thing being in plural, in the, plural in the Lord's Prayer. Then we have Timothy where you have uh, those leading in prayer and in, in the place where people are gathered. But then you have the example of people praying in groups and God approving of that. So that it shows that it's a thing that we ought to do. I mentioned that Psalm 72 speaks of how prayer will be offered up continually to King Jesus after he comes. And how Isaiah 56 says that his house will be called a house of prayer. Well, in Acts 2, we're told what the new converts did in the early church. They were baptized and added to the church. And then it tells us, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, these are public ordinances in the church. They prayed together in the assembly, right along with having the Lord's Supper, having preaching, the Apostles' Doctrine. To make it the case even stronger, the word prayers that's used here has, in the original, the definite article in front of it. So it's a little bit unusual. The prayers. They continued in the prayers. What does it mean, the prayers? Well, the prayers of the church. 
the prayers of the assembly, not my prayers, her prayers, his prayers, but the prayers of the, of the people of God. And all, all of those are ordinances. To make matters absolutely clear, though, that group prayers are approved, we need only go a few pages over to the time when Peter and John had been beaten because they were preaching about Christ. And they continued to do so after the authorities told them not to. And so they were beaten for that. And upon their release, they gathered for group prayer. And the Lord didn't rebuke them and say, you guys aren't supposed to pray. You're supposed to pray in your closet. What are you doing? You know, he said, in Acts 4, uh, 23, says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, and then the prayer goes on. They carry on with the prayer, asking for boldness and other things. Now, what did the Lord think of this group prayer? Were they praying just to be seen by others because they were doing it in a group? Is that what these guys were doing? Apparently, the Lord was quite pleased with their prayer because verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with all boldness. So he responded approvingly. We could give many other examples of group prayer, but what I have said ought to be plenty sufficient to establish the point that the Lord wants us to pray together as his people. You know, you have these wonderful examples. So now let's look at the nature of group prayer. How is it to be done? Well, first let me bring forward an objection that is often raised today about group prayer. It is an objection that's especially prevalent today in modern times because of the way we think today. I've heard people object that when the church gathers for prayer, there's really just, you know, there's only one person praying and everyone else is just kind of, you know, standing there, sitting there in silence. So if uh, there are just two or three that lead in prayer, why don't they just pray and the rest of us can go do something else? You know, they can, why should we be there? Um, we're not praying. They're the only ones praying. What good does it do for the rest of us to be present? Well, I've also seen efforts to address that modern objection, and some of them are a little awkward. When a church will gather for prayer meeting, they'll break up into little groups. And everybody, you know, they've gathered to pray. Everybody's there to pray. And then they're in these little groups of, you know, four or five people over, four or five over, and they're all praying at the same time. Everybody's, you, the whole room's humming with, you know, people, um, people all praying at the same time. And then it's boasted, you know, that, um, well, everyone got to participate in the prayers of the church. And you see what the supposition is there, that if you didn't do it that way, then everybody didn't get to participate. Only some people participated. And that's wrong thinking. I, um, I pointed out that this is especially a characteristic of our modern times. Why? Because we live in a day when we stress the individual and we don't know how to think in context of corporate stuff. Like what I prayed today, I mean, what I preached today, this morning, a lot of people have a hard time getting their mind around that. Well, yeah, why are we talking about our society? I'm concerned just about me and, and how I'm coming off here. But no, we need to repent for what our society does. And pray for God's mercy on our society. We don't think that way. We don't think that way about our family. We don't think about, we're, we're just like in our little, little personal shell. And of course you don't want to be the opposite, where you're just about corporate stuff. And oh yeah, you know everybody's so bad and, and I'm just kind of floating along and I'm not taking any responsibility. Yeah, it's got, there's individual and corporate. We need to have both. Modern philosophy, 
which affects the way that we all think, encourages everyone with a tendency to see themselves as separate from others. If it does ever see them together, then they're blended into a kind of an impersonalism that destroys um, person, individual person. But we have a hard time thinking of ourselves as part of a group. We don't know what it means to speak corporately, to be part of a larger body. Even in marriage, husbands and wives today often are much more like roommates where, you know, and they, make, they make some decisions. They have to decide where they're going to live, what house they're going to get, stuff like that, what city they're going to live in. But then they just kind of run their life going this way and not living two independent lives. And, you know, they, I mean, they have physical relations, stuff like that, but they, they're not really like unified as a, as a family that's functioning and operating together. Um, we, we, can't, we, we can't think in the terms that we read about in Acts that they all prayed with one voice. You go, one voice? What? So, so did they have a scripted prayer? Did like somebody write out a prayer and then they you know, photocopied it and gave it to all of them and then they all, they all read the prayer together so they all with one voice prayed? Or did they memorize it ahead of time? Or, or what did they, This was a spontaneous prayer. The guys had been beaten, they came back, and they all prayed together with one voice. What is that talking about? Well, let's, let's look at what it means to pray together. Because it doesn't mean that. When we pray together, one person speaks and everyone else makes what is being said the sentiment of their heart that they lift up to God. Prayer is extraordinary because the Lord can see our hearts. That means that we are able to make the prayer that is being prayed our own prayer. But yet, it's a group prayer. Now, of course, there may be the odd time, and I hope this doesn't happen very often, but there can be the odd time when someone prays something that you can't affirm in good conscience. You can't say amen to that. And if that's the case, you should abstain at that point from lifting whatever it is up to God. Uh, but, you know, you can, you can deal with that a lot of times, just in how what you lift up to God may be a little different than what was being said. And just to use an example... Uh, okay, I'm, it was supposing I'm going to the ARP Synod, okay? and after it's over, it's not real uncommon sometimes in prayer meetings for someone to pray that um, after the meetings are all done, that we would have had good meetings at the ARP Synod. I can't pray with them when they say that. Why? Because God doesn't change what has already happened. I mean, God is great. He can do great things. But you can't go back and make a meeting good that already happened. And so what am I going to pray for if I hear them pray that? I'm going to pray that God will use the meeting and the things that were done to make it fruitful and give wisdom to people as they're looking at how the meeting was used. I, I'm going to go in a little bit different train of thought in that way. That, that's just a kind of a goofy example but to give you the idea. You know, you, you, you can pray in your heart, thanking God, you know, for things in, the, in, in that way. But, but ordinarily, ordinarily, you can pray right along with the person that's leading. In fact, you should be thankful that there is group prayer. I know that I like to hear other people pray, especially, you know, you get sometimes there's a, some godly older man or something like that. And, you know, you want your prayer, you want those sentiments, you want those thoughts to be your prayers, and you're thankful that you're being led along in a, in a way that maybe would be better than what you would, 
what you would be able to do, you can join your heart to those, those prayers. Paul rebuked the Corinthians about some of the abuses they had in prayer. But anyway, that's, that's what it means to pray with one voice and to pray together in a, in a group prayer. We really need to understand that. So we should all be praying. We should all be engaged when we have group prayer. Just because one voice is praying doesn't mean that however many hearts are in the room should not be praying. However many souls are in the room should not be praying. Okay, now, now moving on, Paul rebuked the Corinthians about abuses in their prayers. There were several things that he rebuked. First, he corrected them for having more than one person speak at a time in the assembly. It was as if they all felt like we were talking about a few months ago that they should be talking. It caused confusion and disorder. The proper way to pray is for one to lead and the others to affirm what, is, what the one is saying. We're a body and we lift up our prayers, one voice speaking for many. Secondly, he rebuked them for praying in a foreign tongue. Some of them were doing that. In 1 Corinthians 14, 16, he forbids praying in a tongue that others can't understand because he says, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, okay, you may, may, may be praying just fine, you know, your, your Spirit, I mean, we have to pray from the Spirit, from within us, and so you're not just saying words, it's not just, you might as well just leave a recording if it's just the words, but you're praying, and uh, you bless with the Spirit, how can he who occupies the place of the uninformed, who can't understand you, say amen? Say amen, that's right, whatever he said. <laughs> I got no idea what it was. He can't participate, and uh, you're giving his thanks. Since he does not understand, he says, what you say, they, they will not be able to join you in prayer in, the, in, this, in their spirit, because they can't understand what you said. Thirdly, he objected to women leading in prayer. When prayer is understood in the way I described, it is an exercise of authority in the assembly, because one person is leading others in prayer. And this is mentioned to the Corinthians as well. I mean, it's mentioned to Corinthians, but it's also mentioned in uh, Timothy, in what we read in Timothy. I already touched on this, but in verse 8, I desire, therefore, that men, and there the word is distinctively males, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women, females, do something else, adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. So the men are the ones that are to lead in prayer. Everyone else is to follow whoever is praying. There are a few other things that are important to keep in mind when we pray as a group. First, that we need to be alert and fervent in our prayer, that we might join our hearts properly in the church's corporate prayer. I'll be the first to confess. When someone else is praying, when I'm not the voice that's praying, then it's easy to let your mind wander off, isn't it? You need to fight against that. It's, easy, it's easier to be engaged when you also burden your heart for what is being prayed. The Lord wants us to be fervent in our prayers as those who know that we will not have what we're asking unless He gives it to us. So when there's a group prayer and somebody's praying for something, you don't just lolly along in your, in your mind. You need, to be, you need to be thinking about how, the, how important that is burdening yourself because we're supposed to pray fervent prayers. And you don't have to be the one whose mouth is moving to pray fervent prayers. 
We're called to do that in our group prayers. And our prayers of this church will be way more effective if we all participate in that way together. This is what God's will is for us. So uh, that's the first thing. Second, we need to see that we have personally confessed our sins and made things right with those that we have wronged before we come to pray. We're told repeatedly that our Lord will not regard us if we have iniquity in our hearts when we pray. So you're not going to get very far in your prayers if you have iniquity in your heart you haven't dealt with. Men are told expressly that God will not hear their prayers if they have not been honoring their wives as a fragile, precious vessel. If they have been treating like an old garbage can instead of like a crystal vase. Jesus follows the Lord's prayer with the reminder that our Father in heaven won't forgive us unless we forgive each other. So you're going to come and ask God to forgive you, but you're harboring bitterness and resentment toward a bunch of people that you haven't dealt with. He's not going to hear you. He's going to chasten you as a heavenly father, a faithful heavenly father, because you need to repent. You need to deal with what you haven't dealt with. These instructions are directed, especially at those that are, uh, are, are leading in prayer. And, and this one's especially that way, the ones who lead in prayer the third thing, they should also be men who are living for God. In Timothy, First uh, Timothy 2.5, we read that, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So what is that? Well, holy hands, that means that they're not hands that are stained by sin. They haven't been doing wrong, haven't been stealing, haven't been hurting other people, using violence. Um, without wrath means that you're not bitter and angry with God or with others. Think of the prayer in Acts 4 where they prayed after being persecuted. What if those men had been bitter about being persecuted and they were, they were bitter toward the Lord and they're bitter toward their persecutors? Their prayers would have been very different. You know, they got beaten for talking about Christ. They said, oh, those Russian men over there. You know, and they, they went on like that. They did say, Lord, behold what they have done and like, deal with them like you, your son is on his throne and he's going to deal with them. But they said, give your servants boldness that we might be able to preach the word. They, they weren't bitter. They weren't, they weren't worked up with, with bitterness. They were without wrath when they prayed. And then without doubting. That means that you're able to pray with faith in God who is able to act and to fulfill the things that he has promised. And you know, that's something that's hard to be engaged in too, isn't it? When you're praying that uh, you can be thinking, oh, I don't know about that. You know, how's that going to happen? Somebody's praying the gospel will spread into our city. You know, God can do that. And, uh, of course, we don't have a promise specifically that at this time it's going to be spread in our city. But these are things that are appropriate for us to pray, that knowing that God is able to do these things. These instructions, yeah, they are directed especially toward those leading in prayer. But they certainly apply to those who follow in prayer as well. If these things are not true of us, if they don't characterize us, holy hands, without wrath, without doubting, then we should certainly not lead in prayer. But what we need to do is come to Jesus, our great high priest, and confess these sins and ask him for pardon and for grace to transform us and give us the graces that we need. If you do not do that, you'll hinder the church's prayer. And by the way, it doesn't matter whether you're present or absent. If you haven't been dealing with stuff, it it has an effect on the church. Remember Achan, when he was harboring his sin, he'd stolen his covetousness, he'd stolen the things that were not supposed to be taken from from Ai, and it, it brought trouble upon all the people. 
Everyone in the great congregation of Israel suffered because of what Achan had done in violation of the Lord's ban. So their prayers were hindered, weren't they? They He was harboring iniquity, you see. The people were harboring. That's what I was talking about before. We're we're a body, and what we do affects one another. Heard uh, in Kevin's prayer today in our prayer meeting, he was he was mentioning that, that we would understand that, that what we do affects other people. We're not just a little island like we like to think. Okay, so the importance, that, that, that's the manner of group prayer or the nature of group prayer. Now the importance of group prayer. Why is it important to pray group prayers? First, I'll simply say that it's important because God did mandate it. You saw that in our first point. He commands us to pray and he commands that men would lead in prayer in every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So he approves of it. We should do it. So it's important because God called us to do it. Okay, that's obvious. Now let's look at some other reasons that it is important and useful. Group prayer, prayer is important because it gets you praying. Most of us would admit that we don't pray enough as much as we ought. I wonder how often you pray for the things that are listed in the bulletin, like that we have as uh, some of the church's prayers in either your family or your private prayers. Do you pray for our missionaries? Do you even know who they are? For ministries like Word and Deed? What about some of the requests that are brought to us at our prayer meeting? Some of you aren't here when those requests are made. We, we do publish them on the church website, but how often do you go to the prayer page? Do you even pray for your brothers and sisters and the things that they have requested prayer for? By coming together for the prayers of the church, you're at least able to pray for these things once in the, in the prayer meeting, unless you let your mind wander off over the place and you don't even know what somebody's praying for. But that, that's, like I said, that's a problem. It's easy to happen. Let me assure you that wandering won't improve if you give up, you say, well, my mind always wanders off anyway, so what's the point? What would you say about to a kid who told you that he tried to play a musical instrument, tried to take up the violin, but oh, I wasn't even good at it, so I, so I gave it up. And you say, well, what did you do? Oh, I picked up a violin, I tried to play it, and you know, I, I tried it a couple times, and I, I really couldn't do it, so I, so I quit. You say, oh, oh, I think I know what your problem is. <laughs> or maybe he took lessons for a year, but he never practiced, and... Yeah, yeah, I tried to do that. I couldn't do it. Well, well, there's a reason, isn't there? So if you're here and you say, oh, my mind wanders off all the time, and you're not trying to change that, yeah, it's going to keep on wandering off. Or if you, don't, if you try it a couple times, oh, well, it's, 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 I, I might as well not bother. Let me just mention that um, with, with the prayer, you know, we, we, have, we have the opportunity, as I say, to pray for for these particular needs. And we have other kinds of prayers in, in our other meetings as well on Sunday. Uh, we, try to, we try to cover like different kinds of prayers that we need to be praying as God's people because prayer is, there's different sorts of prayer. In our morning service, we approach God and we express our delight in Him. We have a kind of a general confession of our sins. We plead with Him to work in our lives in accordance with the, with the uh, word that we have heard. And we respond you know, at the Lord's table Strengthen our faith and our obedience as we look to God. We thank Him for what He's done for us in Christ. We give praise to Him. At our prayer meeting that we have between the services, we take up specific prayer matters. 
So it's a little bit different. We don't usually pray. Sometimes there'll be one or two like that. But we generally pray for specific things in the prayer meetings. Like we pray for people by name. Missionaries and uh, ministers for churches and their needs and sickness and brothers and sisters with their various needs, financial need, a need for work. And then at the second service, okay, what we call the second service, it's the third service as far as if you count the prayer meeting, we have prayers related to the worship service again uh, and what we have heard. And we have the general uh, pastoral prayer where generally I cover sort of a, a, an overview of the things that are more or less the things that are in the Lord's Prayer. And if you miss any of the three services, then your corporate prayers are not, they're not complete. They're not comprehensive. They're missing important items. Like if you never pray for specific things by name, specific missionaries, there's something missing there. Um, but it's also important to pray the general prayers for the whole church and the, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that kind of thing. Group prayer is important, and that, another reason. That was the reason because uh, it gets you praying, and it gets you praying all the different things. Group prayer is important because it helps you to pray better. At least it should. Hopefully, the men leading are godly men who are capable of leading in prayer, and hopefully they'll pray for things and use phrases and things that are, are, are helpful to you, if you're a, especially if you're a newer Christian. As I mentioned before, I like to follow uh, sometimes the a godly older man, when he's praying, you know, to be able to pray with him. Uh, Paul presented the principle of discipleship, follow me as I follow Christ, and prayer is an important place for that to happen. You learn to pray by praying with others. Uh, group prayer is thirdly important because it helps us recognize the corporate nature of the church and to remember that we are a body. I already spoke to you about how we're, we're so individualistic today that we don't understand acting with one body, lifting up one voice to God. Group prayer helps us to rectify that uh, deficiency in our thinking. This is very important when it comes to understanding our relationship with Jesus. Okay, that's what I want to add here. Uh, we need to remember that Jesus himself prays with us. He is the head of the body. That's a pretty significant part of the body, isn't it? Our prayers are heard because we are members of His body, of Him who has atoned for our sin and who cleanses and sanctifies us. So we pray in His name. He prays for the church, the very things that are in the Lord's Prayer. And when we say, Our Father, we're praying not only with each other, but also we're praying with Jesus. He wants God's name to be hallowed. Think about the Lord's Prayer now. Think about what He did that God's name would be glorified. So He's going to the cross, you know, glorify Thy name. And we want God's name to be hallowed as well. So we're praying with Him as we lift up. We need to think about that. We're, we're before our head, our glorious head. He wants God's kingdom to come. He prays for that. You're not the only one that wants God's kingdom to come. He does too. So uh, when we pray... With Him, we pray with each other and with Him. Think about it. There are people all over the world that we pray with as well, that pray. Other Christians pray these things. And we pray with them and for them. And all of us pray with and for Jesus. Okay, So, so He's the connecting link between the different assemblies all over the world that are praying. 
Jesus wants God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In group prayer, we join with him and with each other to ask for that. Same could be said about our prayers for our daily bread, for forgiveness, for deliverance, for temptation, all of these things. Jesus is praying that people will be fed all over the world, they'll have what they need, and we pray that as well. Group prayer is important because it is, this is a fourth thing, because it's a loving thing to do. It's a loving thing to pray for your brothers and sisters. It's a way of doing what is extremely beneficial for them because God answers prayer. This is enhanced all the more when you're in the assembly praying because the assembly is praying for a dear brother or sister in the church that's going through a difficult time. And we're all with one voice showing love to that individual, lifting up prayers concerning them. There's a lot of love flowing when that happens. And there is something precious about one brother hearing another brother pray for him and about the whole church lifting you up in prayer. This can happen even more, even in the in more general kind of prayers, such as when we pray that God will bless the sick, maybe in the in the morning. We're not necessarily praying for people by name like we do in the afternoon time. But what happens if there's a whole group of people? Some of you have a dear brother or sister that's close to you that you're thinking about specifically who's sick when that prayer is made. Someone else is thinking about another person. So all this, this happens in that more general way too. And uh, you're thinking of, a speci- and then of course it happens when we think of specific people. But yes, we're to love one another. And praying is a way that we're to love one another, praying for one another. Group prayer is also important because it unifies us. It sets us seeking the same causes. I mentioned already about how we pray with Jesus and He with us for the things that concern Him. You know, God's kingdom, God's name to be hallowed, daily bread, all of those things. But it reminds us also that, that we're all, what, what we're all about and the desires that we have with God's people, that we're shoulder to shoulder. See, as a congregation, we pray for something like, like the Erskine outreach or, or the ARP Synod coming up or things like that. And we're, we're shoulder to shoulder praying for that or praying for the work that we do and uh, reaching the lost in our communities, things like that, praying for someone in someone's neighborhood, those kind of things. If we pray together, we're more likely to work together so that we're unified in our, our work and our purpose. Sixth group prayer is important because it glorifies God. How so? Well, when we gather together to pray, we honor our Lord by acknowledging in a public way, our dependence upon Him. People don't see that dependence upon God if you're praying only in the closet. When you come together and you say, Lord, have mercy on us, and all the people are praying together, it's a public demonstration of that. We honor God by placing our lives in His gracious hands. Together we yield ourselves also to Him as our Lord, and we say, Your will be done And when things are, are hard, maybe. He's our Master, our benevolent Lord that we trust. We praise Him together for what He's done. So together we say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And we look at what He has promised. And not only that, but when we pray together, the Lord answers the prayer as He did, for example, and, and the Lord does answer the prayer, I mean, as He did recently when we prayed for uh, Jeremy and Ashley about that they would conceive a child, that we've been praying for that. And then they did. It glorifies God that that was done in the assembly. If they had just been like 
maybe they don't go to church and they're just over there praying in their apartment or whatever, and then they conceive a child and they thank God. What happened when we were praying for them as a body and then it's answered, then there's a whole bunch of people that are giving glory to God and thanking God and acknowledging what He's done. So uh, if we just pray privately, we don't have that. When our prayers are not answered as well, then we're there to support and encourage one another and to trust God together that He said no at this time and to wait upon Him. We're, we're in it together and not just as individuals. Group, and it brings glory to God that we're, we're all saying, Lord, we, we trust you. And somebody may be struggling with that and other people can help to, to lead in that direction. Okay, number seven, group prayer is important because it testifies to the world of our faith in God. Private prayers are important, but sometimes even private prayers ought to be made public. You say, wait a minute, <laughs> doesn't that contradict what Jesus says? No, because Jesus was talking about ostentatious prayers is what he was dealing with. Daniel did private prayer in a semi-public way that was not at all in violation of what Jesus spoke about when he said, don't pray to be seen by men. He wanted people to know that he was still going to pray when the king had said, made a decree that anyone that prays to anyone except the king will be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel went to it. He opened his windows and he prayed as he had customarily done right there where the men could see him. He knew exactly what he was doing. It was right for Daniel not to hide away in the closet in that case. So it is in our world where God is not feared, we may be more comfortable hiding away. We want, but we should want the world to know that we call upon the Lord our God because he lives and that we thank him because he is the true God. We want them to know that we confess our sins because we're sinners and that we ask forgiveness because he forgives. We want them to know that we gather together for worship because he is the one who reigns and is Lord of all and who gave us everything we have and is worthy of worship. Now, certainly there are times of persecution when it might be warranted to uh, to meet in secret. But even Jesus or even Jesus at times did not go up openly to Jerusalem because they were trying to kill him before the appointed time. He usually ended up being very public at Jerusalem when he got there because of just the way things fell out. But he sometimes didn't go deliberately in that way. But in a society like ours, we need to show the world that we believe that there's a living God who answers prayer. And if nobody is praying, if churches aren't praying in, the, in public, then that testimony is not given. And again, it's semi-public, of course, but you know, people know when you go to church. They know when you, you know, your neighbors know that if they know you at all. So the application of all that I've said here is obvious. Group prayer is mandated by God. It is to be done in a proper manner with one voice, one voice leading and others following. And it is important. Therefore, I urge you to participate in the corporate prayers of the church. Don't say, well, the others are more godly than me. I'll let them pray. How will you grow in your prayers if you do that? If you're not so good at prayer, then uh, it's a good way to learn. And you children, don't say, I'm just a child. You know, I'm not a communicant. I, uh, I will leave it to the adults to pray. Why, why, should I, why should I be there? That's the wrong way of thinking. I mean, you, you trust in Jesus, don't you? Trust in Jesus and 
so avoiding praying, you say that that's the way that you come to trust him more is by praying. If, if you do, then you need if you don't know him, then you, you need to um, need to pray <laughs> that you might come to know him. And if you do, you need to learn how to pray. Maybe you say, well, I find it dull and boring. Well, you need to make a huge change. You obviously don't, and that's the adults too. <laughs> you need to make a huge change if you find it dull and boring. You obviously are not considering and grasping that you're coming with requests before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's nothing trivial about that. Not at all. If you're not gripped by that, then you need to come to your great high priest and ask him to help you to become gripped by that, that you're coming before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to bring petitions before him because that is what you're truly doing. The one who can shake the universe and who will shape and shake the universe is the one to whom you make your petitions known. Let us all give thanks for corporate prayer and let us plead with the Lord to make our corporate prayers better. It'll have a huge impact on our church and it will have a huge impact on you as an individual Please stand and let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we come before you with gladness that you are a merciful God who forgives sinners. We know that if righteousness depended on us being righteous, that we would be in bad shape. That certainly comes out when we talk about prayer. We can't talk about prayer without falling under a great deal of conviction. But we thank you, Lord, that you are working powerfully in us in order to shape us and to make us more like Jesus. And we pray that we would be eager to be like him and that we would not pull away from the things that will help us and benefit us. We pray, Father, that we would grow in our prayers. We thank you, Lord, that we can come before you. Truly, Lord, you are the one who is enthroned on high. And right now, we have the privilege of being able to to talk to you, Lord. And it is an incredible blessing that we can do that. Oh, Father, but it's not, it's not significant enough to us. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, that we may realize how significant it actually is. And may we learn to pray with one voice, Lord, that, that you know, together we would, we would lift up our petitions to you and that, that you would be pleased with us, Lord, that you would honor, that you would be honored through our group prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I referred to Psalm 72, and so let's sing a portion of that, 72b. Really, it's quite a, quite a power of our God as one who is a servant of Jesus Christ. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.